0: the questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth.
1: Welcome to Veritas.
0: Tonight, we're diving into a world that's hidden in plain sight, a journey into the heart of secrets and revelations. Our guest, Eric Hecker, is a man whose life reads like a classified file, filled with experiences that defy the mainstream narrative. Born in the shadow of the Montauk Project on Long Island, Eric's story starts in an environment steeped in mystery. His childhood was marked by involvement in the Stargate Project, a CIA-DIA initiative exploring the fringes of human capabilities like remote viewing. This wasn't fantasy. This was his reality. From these secretive beginnings, Eric's path took him to the depths of the ocean in the submarine service where he was part of operations that most can't even imagine. But it's his time at the South Pole Station that's the most gripping chapter in his saga. In the unforgiving and isolated expanse of Antarctica, he came face to face with projects and technologies that shattered conventional beliefs. This wasn't just a job. It was a revelation. After returning to Alaska's rugged terrain, Eric's eyes were fully open. He started piecing together the experiences of his life realizing they weren't random events but part of a larger, hidden plot. His accounts of advanced technologies, like the ice cube neutrino detector and insights into directed energy weapons, peel back layers of what we're led to believe is real. Tonight, Eric joins us not just to tell his story, but to challenge us to look beyond the surface. His revelations cut through the noise, offering a raw, unfiltered look at the depths of secrecy. Prepare yourselves for an unapologetic expedition into the shadows of our reality, led by a man who has stood on the front lines of the unknown. We will ask the questions that need answers, lift the veils that obscure the truth, and what we uncover may very well transform your perception of the world as you know it. Eric Hecker is coming up next.
2: Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including focused life force energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. Discover the Veritas Digest series on Amazon. Multiple volumes, each unveiling the truths they don't want you to know. It's more than just reading, it's an awakening. Secure your copies today. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrich.
0: His website is deciphering.tv. And directly from the last frontier, Alaska, USA, I'd like to welcome Eric Hacker. Hello, Eric, and welcome to Veritas.
3: Hello, sir. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm my pleasure. to present my information to your audience.
0: Absolutely. And Eric, you have such a, an incredible story. I've been following you for the past few months ever since Dr. Greer had Disclosure Project 2.0, as I like to call it. Let's begin with your story. And I want to go all the way back to your upbringing. I believe you were born in Long Island, very close to the Montauk Project. Can you take us back?
3: So, what was the question
0: Yes that goes back to your upbringing your background you uh were born very close to montauk project there in Long Island correct
3: that that is correct um if you could give me greater specificity of what you're looking for it's uh yes I was born near the montauk project um
0: any link kind of- any link to that area any link to the montauk project that may have brought you to where you are today
3: Oh, absolutely! I believe so. I was um, heavily abused in the grammar school that I went to, and and part of programs that I believe are linked to the Montauk Project, to MK Ultra, to Project Monarch, all kinds of stuff.
0: A lot of people watch um, Stranger Things, and they see, they think that all that is uh, uh, science fiction. But we've been discussing this for, for for a very long time. Even people who have gone through it. So you grew up there then I want to know before Raytheon and before you were, because obviously the, the the important parts of this story is what you saw in Antarctica. Correct. But before you got there, I want to know, tell them, give me the the whole path before you got there.
3: I I wish you would be more um, precise with the increase. It's a, it's a huge path. I don't, I, I can't possibly begin to know where to jump in. I
0: mean, um, how do you, okay, let, let's be focused. Let's focus on how did you get to Raytheon? I'm, I'm very familiar with Raytheon. I guess most of my circle here in, in Arizona, just because I'm so close to Raytheon, uh, is composed by Raytheon people. So how did you get to Raytheon first?
3: I, I applied online looking for work after the uh, 2008 debacle of the Obama administration and the economy tanking. I started looking outwardly for other employment opportunities, and that Oddly enough, at the time, was the only company on the face of the earth looking to cut me
0: a check. That's interesting you say that because this this program started during that year and for the same reason. And it's been 15 years since then. Oh, very interesting. So you got to Raytheon. And what was your first position with Raytheon?
3: Uh, My first and only position with Raytheon, I was hired on as a plumber for the South Pole Station. And in that capacity, I I did have a a dual role that I also was a a firefighter. In fact, I was a a lead on the fire brigade, which basically meant that every time the alarms went off, I was one of the first people to breach the door into what we commonly refer to as the hot zone to uh, ascertain what the problem is and mitigate it accordingly. It was a, a lot of responsibility Uh, especially during the winter season, to make sure that myself and the 48 other folks with me that were wintering over uh, survived the winter.
0: How cold does it get there where you were?
3: The coldest day that we saw was minus 103.4 degrees Fahrenheit ambient without wind chill.
0: My question is because I'm thinking I'm not a plumber, but how do you keep pipes from bursting at that temperature?
3: Uh, You apply what they call heat trace, and you keep the fluids moving. Um, Things are very well insulated, and our domestic water supply was uh, recirculating. So as everybody knows, it's harder to freeze moving water than stationary water.
0: So Raytheon, as everybody knows who listens to this program, is uh, one of the big tentacles of the military, military industrial complex. What are they doing there? I mean, of course, they're going to say research. What are really they're doing there?
3: Uh, They're really operating um, massively technologically advanced directed energy weapons systems. And from what my direct firsthand, I shouldn't say my, I should say my experiences in dealing with others that have been in the program is that they are also actively functioning missile systems. So directed energy weapons systems, missile systems you know a whole plethora of things that aren't supposed to be happening down there are actively going on
0: do you have any ndas non disclosure agreements with them is that why you are able to speak it?
3: Uh, i would probably speak even if i had an nda i don't understand the cowardice of all of these people that do have ndas and still don't speak and i appreciate
0: that and the reason why they're there is it because of how remote that area of the world is so that they can, you know.
3: I believe that's a part of it. I believe it's very multifaceted, that that's certainly a reason, but there's multiple reasons. And I think that's something that we see oftentimes in government programs, especially nefarious government programs, is that when they invest money in something, it's for more reasons than what's presented at face value. And what's presented at face value is pretty much just a cover story for the stuff they don't want to talk about. And we see that time and time again in so many aspects of uh, our government, other governments in the world. I mean, we all know there's top secret, you know, super duper secret squirrel stuff going on. Um, So it has to be under false pretenses or everybody would know what's going on. It wouldn't be a secret.
0: What led to your, I mean, I'm thinking of the many people I know that go to Raytheon and they work locally or they go to Alabama or, or, but Antarctica, what led to your assignment in Antarctica? What were your initial expectations about your role?
3: Uh, My initial expectations were to do a full year there. I had a primary contract, which had me there for the summer season. I had a contract as an alternate for the winter season when I first made it to the South Pole Station for the summer season. But through um, good performance, I acquired the primary position to stay through the winter and effectively do 366 days straight on the continent.
0: Obviously, Antarctica is not an unusual posting. It must have been a unique opportunity. Why do you think you were chosen for this assignment in such a remote and strategic location?
3: I think because I'm really good at what I do with tools. I think it's that simple that this is an extremely remote facility in probably the harshest conditions you can have on the surface of this planet. And they legitimately need qualified hands to move tools to keep the facilities up and running i'm very good at fixing things let's just put it that way um in austere conditions with limited materials and not necessarily the most um qualified team so to say in so far as you know my expertise is plumbing and heating but there are times where i would just be the the lead so to say and i would have to direct other folks who that's not their expertise but i would be able to give them guidance to get us through the tasking for the most part when things would go wrong you know we would have folks where they you know primarily were an electrician or a carpenter or like myself a plumber that when a system failure would occur we would just default to whoever's primary role it was to mitigate that problem. And then we would all, you know, act like apprentices and assist. It just so happens that a lot of the issues that we had were either plumbing related, heating related, boiler related, um, fire related. So I got to be the lead guy often. And then I guess through, proven performance. I just would regularly take the lead when things went
0: wrong. I guess I fast forward too quickly because there's a couple of things from your childhood, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have Stargate Project. That's a CIA DIA initiative. Uh, you, you had a submarine experience that you also had. Can you comment about that as well?
3: Uh, sure. The uh, The Stargate stuff, I think, was, you know, training as a child that, you know, there's I think all of the children on this planet are going through a ringer, and I was just filtered through and utilized for the skill set that I had, that those skills were worked with, amplified, made better, uh, put down on paper that I had them. I think that had a lot to do with what I was doing at the South Pole Station, was there's a lot to be said for remote viewers, intuitiveness, the ability to, for lack of a better term, divine out the correct information during a circumstance without getting confused and just being able to get things fixed. I think a a lot of this stuff has to do with my ability in an emergency situation to function on a very high level and not be concerned with the catastrophe going on around me whilst being able to mitigate the problem. I think that my time in the submarine service was extremely peculiar. I did—I was not in the service for a long time. My records are very peculiar. My recollections are very peculiar. The people that I crossed paths with were extremely odd. My first experiences with Raytheon um, that I know of and peculiar personnel were there. Uh, There were times that I um, had lost time. There were peculiar rooms that I would go to and do things with Raytheon personnel that just, you know, to this day don't make much sense to myself or others, but align themselves, I guess you would say, with the stories and recollections of folks that were in the Montauk project up to and including things like the Montauk chair. I
0: remember... Many years ago, discussing this with people who knew Lieutenant Colonel Philip J. Corso, you may be aware of his story, uh, the, the book uh, The Day After Roswell, where he talks about fiber optics and a lot of technology that is exotic. It was given to, for example, AT&T, and t and at and was supposed to say, we came up with this. And I think this is just a cover for FOIA to prevent people from going and saying that we want a Freedom of Information Act request to get this from the government. But if the private sector owns it, then we have absolutely no – no we have no way of getting this information. Do you think that Raytheon and, and Boeing and the rest of them, they have technology that has been provided by our own tax dollars via our government, and they keep it uh, to themselves? Absolutely. All day long. And when it comes to Raytheon, well, well, well before that, how did you acclimate yourself there? Because I believe – did you move to Alaska after – your Antarctica stint or was it before?
3: I moved to Alaska
0: afterwards. Afterwards. Obviously, Alaska is the most rugged that we can think, people like us. But this was even more rugged. How did you acclimate yourself to Antarctica?
3: Exposure. I mean, there was no there was no cheat. It was simply, you know, get dropped off on the skiway in a in a AC one thirty. Uh that's the Air Force's Hercules. It's a it's a workhorse, and it cargo flighted us in, and they opened the door, and that was it. I mean, it was a an acclim getting acclimated by exposure just by doing it.
0: During your time there, was there any talk about Admiral Byrd or New Schwabenland? Any of those topics?
3: Uh, there was no mention of Byrd when I was there, but I, I do believe there was um, at times discussion. Of the older German facilities, it was kind of a running joke that we had during our time there. There was there was a lot of German personnel at the facility, and you know, being the United, being the you know the, Adminson Scott International South Pole Station, we we did have a myriad of international folks, but it seemed the vast majority of them were Germans. And we would joke amongst each other that, you know, we would say things like, oh, well, it's it's nice that they don't make them wear their uniforms anymore.
0: <laughs> Do you think this came from Operation Paperclip or is this just a known thing it, because you had a lot of, uh, you know, foreign contractors with you?
3: I know it's through Operation Paperclip. Um, the history of the Antarctic Program the, the United States Antarctic Program, I should say, say, operating under the umbrella of IGY, which is International Geophysical Year, which can be traced back to Lloyd Berkner, who was part of the original expeditions with Admiral Byrd, um, who was over at Brookhaven National Labs at one point, along with Samuel A. Goodsmith. I mean, all of all of these people are referenceable. Um, connections to Operation Paperclip, Um, IGY, people need to understand that that was Lloyd Berkner's baby. He was the one that got that seed planted. And initial IGY was not this whole um, kumbaya science thing in Antarctica. It was intended to be a method to pay attention to the activities of things Um, Off planet and coming and going on the planet. This is what Berkner intended. So we've been bamboozled for many decades now as to what's really going on on this planet and who the key players are. And it appears that the more we do research, we can verify that Operation Paperclip and the scientists and the Nazis have a lot to do with this. Uh, somebody doing great work on this topic and these connections is a, a YouTuber called Dark Journalist. And I recommend everybody checks him out yeah, in these efforts right. because he's one of the few people that I have ever heard of mentioned Lloyd Berkner and making the connections that I'm also aware of that exist. This is um it's a, a years-long effort by very nefarious people to keep us in the dark about what's really going on on this planet and off this planet.
0: And this is a question that's uh, somewhat controversial, but we all know the Antarctic Treaty. You know, we went to the moon, allegedly, and you would think that after 50 years, the moon would have been commercialized by now. Every time there's something that we discover, say, you know, the Wright brothers, immediately after the flights become commercialized, we go to war, we just basically exploit. But when it comes to Antarctica, Nobody is allowed to go there. Exxon and Mobil and the rest of them, they can't go out there and exploit resources at all.
1: Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com.